We talked about, like I said last week, what it means to be a disciple and, and the, the, the pure definition of what a disciple is, that, that a disciple is a, uh, a learner. It's someone who learns. It's a pupil. It's a student. So someone who, who gets close and follows and learns not just by word, but learns by the example of their teacher. And hallelujah, what a great teacher we've got in Jesus. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, the idea of being a disciple and the, the purposeful use of the word disciple by the Spirit of God in, in the writing of the Word, in the writing of Scripture. It's no accident. That word is used about 270 times. Uh, it's intentional. God has called us to be disciples who make disciples, and we teach the disciples we're making also to make disciples. And the 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 the, uh, the the road just keeps on rolling. It just keeps on going. That that trend keeps on going. It was the intention of Jesus when he uttered these words we're about to read to get it started and for it to keep rolling through all the ages until he returned and came back again the second time. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20 says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, that, that, that Greek word for nations is ethnos. Literally, make the disciples of every ethnic group, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, it's interesting here. Uh, you, you see that uh, uh, the, the Lord is, is starting something. But, but he's not ending it. He's starting something, but it's not finished. As a matter of fact, the, the book of Acts was the continuation of the works of Jesus. Luke wrote the, the book of Acts as he wrote the gospel that bears his name. And he started it by referring to the book that he had written previously, the gospel of Luke. And in that first verse of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 1, he said that that former book I wrote was about what Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, that's what Jesus began to do and teach, but he's not done doing and he's not done teaching. He's doing it now, but he's doing it through his body, the church. And all through the ages, this has been uh, continued. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Are you ready to be a disciple maker today? Now, here's the thing. In, in being a disciple maker, you never stop being a disciple. So, so at, at the same time that you're going about making disciples, you're always a disciple yourself. You never stop being a disciple. Just, just like mama said, you always be my baby. You never stop being my baby. No matter how old you get, you always be my baby. You will never stop being a disciple. But you are a disciple who will make disciples. Hallelujah. And if there's three things that I want to see today, and we'll emphasize one in particular, but, but if you see three things about making disciples, first of all, you see bringing them in, showing them the ropes, and then sending them out to do the same. Bringing them in, showing them the ropes, sending them out to do the same. Bringing them in, show them the ropes, send them out to do the same. The idea of showing them the ropes is showing them how it's done, showing them how to walk the walk, showing them how to live this life, showing them uh, good, solid, sound doctrine in the word. Get people established, get people firm so they can go out and then do the same. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Are you ready to make disciples? And so here's, here's the thing in this verse here. We we can see that this idea of of uh, bringing them in. And showing them the ropes and sending them out to do the same. And, and the idea of making disciples, you see, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So the idea of baptism, as we see it in the Word, baptism was not conversion. But everybody, when they got converted, if you read through the book of Acts, they got water baptized right away. They didn't waste any time. They wanted to go ahead and follow the instructions of Jesus and do that something public and that something tangible that let people know, yeah, I'm one of those people. Yeah, I'm identifying myself with Jesus. I'm baptized 
in his name. I'm baptized in water here today and I'm letting all the world know that I am identified with him. I am one of those. So right along with their conversion, they were baptized in water right away. So we see that they were brought in, bringing them in. And then what was verse 20 here? It says, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Show them the ropes. Teach them, teach them everything that Jesus said. And you know, once you get through everything that Jesus said, if you went through the whole gospel of Matthew and got to the end, what was the last thing Jesus said in Matthew? Send them out to do the same. So you see that pattern even here. Bring them in, show them the ropes, and send them out to do the same. Somebody say it with me. Bring them in. Show them the ropes. Send them out to do the same. Hallelujah. Now, the the idea of bringing them in, first of all, we as a church need to realize that we've got a responsibility to care both inwardly and outwardly. Did you hear what I said? The church has a responsibility to care both inwardly and outwardly. To care inwardly because we're taking care of our own. To take care of our fellow brothers and sisters. But but if all we did was take care of our own, we'd be falling so short of the calling. And so short of the commission. For the commission was to go. Come on, somebody. The the commission was to go and, and to bring the gospel to those who need to hear it. So there's a responsibility on the church to care inwardly. But if you only care inwardly and never care outwardly, that church will die. That church will not survive. The, the, the survival of the church is, is to, to keep on continuing the, the trend that Jesus got started that's supposed to be going throughout all the ages of the church until he comes again. Bring them in. Show them the ropes. Send them out to do the same. Bring them in. Show them the ropes. Send them out to do the same. And the groundwork and the foundation of this idea of bringing them in is prayer. Are you with me? Someone say prayer. You know, Jesus talked about praying for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. He talked about that over in Matthew chapter 9. He said the, the, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his field. And you know, what's interesting is that sometimes we get so caught up with praying that prayer, and that's a good prayer to, to get started with. But, but if we stop there, then the extent of our prayer is, Lord, send somebody else. Lord, send somebody else. Well, they need laborers there. Lord, send them. Lord, send them. And you know what happens is that if you get into such a mode of saying, Lord, send somebody else, which is a good thing to pray, a scriptural thing to pray. But if that's all you do, you're missing another prayer that was prayed by the prophet Isaiah over in chapter 6 of his book. And he stood in the presence of God and he said to God, here am I, send me. So I believe that in the body of Christ, there needs to be more than the prayer of Lord, send somebody else. But there needs to be the prayer of says, Lord, send me. Come on. (laughs) Hallelujah. So this is all about bringing the men, bringing the lost in to the kingdom of God. And you know what? Bottom line, one thing that trips people up so much of the time is that they're, they're discouraged by the possibility of rejection. Oh, I just don't know if they're going to receive me. I don't know if they're going to like it. I don't know if this is the right time. There, there can be a million and one reasons why somebody would hold back. But you know what's interesting? The writer of Ecclesiastes said in the 11th chapter in the 4th verse of Ecclesiastes, it says, he who observes the wind will not sow. Mm-mm-mm. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you're waiting for the perfect weather, the perfect climate, the perfect conditions, you might be waiting a long time. Because I'll tell you, there's an enemy out there that's looking to stir up the clouds and and, and try to do anything he can to mess up the conditions so that you'll hold back and not plant that seed that you need to be planting. But I want you to know that we're not going to be those that are holding back because of the weather, holding back because we're observing the wind. It's windy today. I better not sow or it's cloudy today. You know that the conditions aren't quite right. You know, is, is there an aspect of timing with God? Absolutely. If he's giving you a sense of timing, then you go ahead and follow his direction. But you know what? If he's not giving you a clear and direct direction, then you already have direction. Direction right here in the Holy Bible that says, go and make disciples of all nations. So unless the Lord's leading you in a specific way with a specific strategy towards somebody, you already got the strategy. Go tell them. Hallelujah. 
And it's interesting, you know, the, the idea of, of, of waiting for the right time. I mean, the word already tells us it is the right time. Today is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. You better get in on the deal today. And then the idea that somebody may not listen to you. That's not unheard of. I mean, Jesus talked about the, the, the parable of the sower. And, and, and that word, that seed that was planted only really took in one of those four categories of ground that the seed was planted in. So it's no shock to Jesus. Jesus already said that the seed of the word does not produce in every kind of soil. It produces lasting fruit in only one of those four various types that he shared in that parable. So your seed may not be the one that takes. And so what are you going to do? Have a complex about that and feel like a failure because your seed didn't take? Jesus sold some seeds that didn't take either. The apostle Paul sold some seeds that didn't take. The idea is not to worry about what's going to take. That's not your responsibility. You just keep sowing. Hallelujah. You see, your seed might not be the one that takes, but your words might be the one that starts removing some of the thorns out of that thorny ground. Come on, somebody. Your words might be just the words that start removing some of the rocks out of the rocky ground. So you may not be the one that can actually sow the seed that will ultimately result in harvest, but you can start clearing some ground for the one who will come and plant the seed that will take. Hallelujah. So don't be discouraged in your sowing of the word into people's lives. Keep on going with it. Don't be discouraged about your prayers. You may have sold many tears in prayer for somebody. Come on. And, and, and you may have poured out your heart. And, and, and I mean, you just, you, you've left some tears on the altar for somebody. But I want you to know that the Bible says in Psalm 126 that those who sow in tears will reap in joy. You know, the, the New Living Translation of Psalm 126, verse 6, says it like this. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they're singing as they come back with the harvest. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they're singing as they're coming back with the harvest. So you might have been planting some, some seeds with, with your word and with your tears. When you went and planted, you may have planted with tears. But I want you to know that there's a, there's a harvest that is to be reaped. That's going to turn those tears into joy. Hallelujah. Tears into joy because the lost is found. The dead is alive. That which was once away from home has now come home. Hallelujah. And there's various means of getting the word out. The scripture shows them. And what I'm about to tell you, I'm not claiming that to be an exhaustive list. But, but we see Peter just going out there and just flat out preaching the gospel. He did it on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved. He, he did it after uh, him and John ministered to the lame man at the gate beautiful. And he was healed after never walking his whole life. Preached the gospel there. And in the beginning part of Acts chapter 4, it said that as a result of that message that he preached, 5,000 people were saved. So, so, so there's the preaching of the word to as many people as you can get to hear it. That's one way. Jesus also sent out the guys house to house. When he sent the, the, the disciples out, he said, you can go out uh, uh, in, into the various towns, into various houses. And if you go into a house and, and, and they're, they're receiving you, if they're worthy, Jesus said, you can leave your peace there. And if they're not receiving your word, then take your peace on back and go somewhere else where they will receive you. So we see various means. We see the, the, the preaching to the crowds. We see the house to house. But there's also the, the aspect of reaching people just by a conversation. You know, well, that's what Jesus did with the woman at the, the, the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. He was just sitting there. She came to draw some water. And what did he do? He started a conversation with her. And he, it was real simple. He just asked for a drink. And, and, and he utilized that as the opportunity and, and the platform to deliver his message. He, he used the topic of the conversation, which was a drink of water, to say, hey, you know what? If you drink the water I give you, do, do you, do you see the, the wisdom of that? Do, do you see that, that, that the wisdom of God inside of you can just take the simple topic of a conversation and be able to present it to somebody in a way that will reach them? 
I'll never forget one time I was with Pastor Sam, the, the founding pastor of our church, and, and we were, I think it was Warwick Mall or Rhode Island Mall or one of those uh, over there, and uh, just walking through. And the lady at the cologne counter asked him if he wanted to sample eternity for men. And he took the opportunity. He said, no, thank you, because I already got my reservations. And he said, when people get their reservations for eternity, they have two options, smoking or non-smoking. And he said, I got mine in the non-smoking section. And was able to use something like, would you like to try some eternity for men? And utilize it as an opportunity, as the platform within this conversation to be able to present the gospel to somebody. And then there's also the aspect of being able to share the gospel relationally. When you got something good, you, 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 you have this great restaurant, you, you got your people that you talk to, you got to try this, you got to go there with me. You got something good, something you really like, you got to share it with somebody. Well, you know what? Over in the, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we see Andrew who, who, who uh, followed Jesus. And the first thing he did is he went and found his brother, Simon Peter, and said, hey, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus was walking along, told Philip, follow me. What did Philip do? Philip went and found his, his, his buddy, Nathaniel, and said, Nathaniel, we found him who Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, you know, he was a little skeptical at first. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? To which Philip said, come and see. So, so we see the, the various areas. You may not go ahead and do the, 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 the big meeting where you're preaching to thousands of people. But I tell you this, you can certainly have a conversation. And you've certainly got relationships whereby you can go ahead and just like you tell somebody, oh, yeah, we need to go to the new restaurant that opened up. You need to watch this new show. It's a great show to watch. you got to see this. Or you got to see this picture. Or any of the things that you talk about with your friends. This is more than a picture and this is more than a restaurant. This is the best thing in the world you could ever offer anybody. This is God's gift of eternal life. So you got to get them in. But then we see that you, you just can't get them in. Because we're not called just to make converts. We're called to make disciples. The difference between a convert and a disciple is the difference between giving birth to a child and raising a child. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm concerned that in the church, many of us could uh, uh, be, be uh, accused of spiritual abandonment. I got a burden today. I, I, need, to, I need to say what I got to say. Spiritual abandonment because of the fact that many times we can bring somebody to church and we can bring them to the altar and, and then there, there's almost an expectation that, okay, well, they're, they're saved, they're good, they said the prayer, somebody else will take care of them now. And you know what? I believe that if we're, we're going to go ahead and, and, and be diligent enough to get somebody in the house, to lead somebody to the Lord, to, to actually bring them to church and walk them down here to the altar, that then we need to have the motivation not just to stop there, but to be willing to invest our life and to invest some time and to say, well, this person, yeah, they're just new in the kingdom, uh, but, 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 but we need them to be more than a convert. We need to make them a disciple. You know, I mean, here they are just new to the kingdom of God, don't know the difference between the Ark of the Covenant and Noah's Ark. You know, their, their understanding of the book of Genesis is that God split in Adam and made Eve. You know, I mean, they're just green to the Bible. You want to hear the rest of that? Yeah, they, they think that God split in Adam and made Eve, and they were both naked and unashamed just because mirrors weren't invented yet. All right. I had to finish that thought. But you see, people are ignorant of the word. They're brand new babies, don't know a thing. And they're depending on somebody who'd be willing to take them under their wing and show them the ropes. So here we see not just the importance of bringing them in, but now show them the ropes. You don't leave babies on their own. 
in the natural and you don't do it in the spiritual either. So let's talk about showing them the ropes, the heart of a disciple maker. The, the heart of a disciple maker is, is you spend time. It, it, it's an investment of time. You know, John chapter eleven fifty four 54 says Jesus remained with the disciples. He spent time with them. He remained with them. Uh, Mark 3, verse uh, 13 through 15. This is one to really take a look at in your Bible and highlight. It's a beautiful thing. It, it's where Jesus, he, it says that he went up into the mountain and, and called those that he wanted. And he appointed 12. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And that he might send them forth. So he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he might send them forth. So he appointed them. He brought them in. They were with him. He was showing them the ropes. And then he sent them out. He sent them out to do the same. Hallelujah. You see that same pattern there in Mark 3, verse 13 through 15. Why don't you go to 2 Corinthians 12? Now, talking about the heart of a disciple maker, uh, Paul said it so beautifully over in 1 Corinthians 10, 33, where he said, I'm not seeking my own profit, but I'm seeking the profit of many that they may be saved. I'm not doing this for my own profit or for my own benefit. I'm doing this for the benefit of others. I'm doing it because somebody needs to be brought up in the ways of the Lord. Somebody needs to be showed the way. Somebody needs to be showed the ropes. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, are you there? Look at verse 14, it says, Paul said, now for the third time I am ready to come to you. Now this is follow up here. This is not just, okay, well we got you in the kingdom, that's one and done. No, this is sticking with somebody and bringing them along and showing them the way and showing them the ropes. Now for the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours but you. You see the heart there. Look at verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Think about this. That the heart of one who makes disciples is willing to make an investment. Willing to, to, be, to spend and to be spent for someone's soul. Even if you don't always seem appreciated. Somebody needs to be willing. To make an investment, make an investment in souls, make an investment in discipling people and bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. Go over to Galatians, right next door to 2 Corinthians is Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 4. This is something I want you to see. I want you to see, we we saw the heart of a disciple maker. And now we're going to see the labor of a disciple maker. We're going to see the the disciple maker in labor here. Galatians chapter 4, the words of the apostle Paul. He said, my little children, verse 19, Galatians 4, 19, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So he's talking about laboring in birth, travailing. You know, it's interesting that there, there's an aspect of prayer that a lot of people miss. Some people just think that prayer is just throwing up your little wish list to the Lord and don't realize that there's an area of prayer where you just like a pregnant woman about nine months and ready to deliver and, 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 and you just got to keep on going with it until this baby gets born. Somebody needs to be pregnant today. And I'm not talking about being pregnant with a baby, but I'm talking about being pregnant with a burden from the Lord with a burden for souls, with a burden for somebody who needs to to get established and need to make it in the Lord. And and he said that I'm laboring in birth again. This wasn't even the first time he went through that. The first time was for their salvation, for their new birth. But this time it was for their maturity. It's just like what Epaphras did over in Colossians 4.12. Where the scripture says that Epaphras, who is one of you, is a, 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 he's a bondservant of Christ. He greets you. He's always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So this man, Epaphras, was always laboring fervently for the church in prayer. Always laboring fervently for the church in prayer. Are you willing? Are you willing? In prayer. To go ahead 
and, and labor. Push. Someone say push. Prevail. We're not leaving this place until we get some breakthrough. We're not leaving this place until this person gets birthed into the kingdom. I'm going to hang with this and I'm going to stick with this before God until this person comes into the kingdom. And then once they're in the kingdom, that's good, but that's not all of it. Because Paul said there's another level now that Christ be formed in them. Not just bringing them in, but now showing them the ropes. We see beautiful examples, actually combinations of where people were brought in and showed the ropes. You know, over in Acts chapter 8, we see that, uh, uh, that eunuch from Ethiopia riding his chariot and Philip got hooked up with him. And, and, and he's there with, with, with the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Imagine that. And Philip said, hey man, you know what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless somebody guides me? How many people are there out there that say the same thing? How can I understand unless somebody guides me? And God's calling us here today to be the guides. Come on, somebody. To be the ones who can make some disciples. How can I unless someone guides me? So he's reading what he's reading, which is right out of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Reading about the Lord Jesus Christ and doesn't even know it. He says to Philip, I ask you, of whom is the prophet speaking? Is it of himself or some other man? And Philip said, "Woo! I ain't passing up this opportunity. And he preached to him Jesus right there on the spot. Showing them the ropes. Helping people along with something they did not know previously. Acts chapter 19. Paul shows up at Ephesus. Comes across some guys that were identified as disciples. And they said, Paul said to them, have you, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believe? They said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Ghost. And Paul comes to find out that they were just baptized with John the Baptist's baptism, but that they had not heard that Jesus had come and that Jesus had sent the Holy Ghost and all the things that had transpired. So Paul went and showed them the ropes and explained to them that, that John the Baptist was talking about the one who would come. Well, he already came and he already did what he needed to do. And it's available to you. And they were, they were believers and were baptized in the name of the Lord. Baptized in water. Why don't you go over to Acts chapter 18. This is a beautiful example of showing the ropes. Showing the ropes. Taking somebody under your wing. And you know what? It's not always convenient to open your life to somebody. It's not always convenient to, 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 to get a phone call at a, a strange time of day. Uh, and, and you, you know, you, you think, is this an emergency? And somebody said, no, I just wonder, what, what about the dinosaurs? You know, or some kind of question like that. You know, uh, yeah, it, it might be a little inconvenient when you're dealing with somebody who, who's a baby. And, 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 and you know, they just all got all kind of questions they want to ask. You know, I mean, they're fired up and, and, and you know, but, but just don't know a whole lot. They, they, they believe the Bible from genetics to revolution. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're, they're just not up on things the way they need to be. Look at Acts 18, verse 24. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. How many of you can see somebody who's got some fire and who's got some zeal and has got some potential, but they're still rough around the edges? And they just need somebody who can take them the, under their wing and, and, and explain to them, expound to them the way of God more accurately. How many of you see the need of that today? Somebody did it for you. Somebody did it for you. You didn't just get born again knowing everything you know. Somebody put time into you. Be willing to put time into others as others have put time into you. You know, the idea of showing the ropes, I love the way Paul put it in 1 Timothy 3.15. 
he's writing to Timothy and he said, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. You know, the, the proper way of doing things, the proper way of conducting yourself. You know, you might find somebody who's just hot and fresh and, you know, new to the kingdom of God. And they find out some of the principles of faith and, and the, the, what, what, what Jesus said about the, that, that if you, uh, what, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. They, they find out what Jesus said about you can have what you say. And so they, they, they see this hot girl on the other side of the church and say, I want to claim them to be my wife. Somebody needs to uh, uh, enlighten that person that you just don't go around claiming people. <laughs> the person you claim and have some say so in this. So sometimes people just do wild things, but it's because they don't know any better. It's because they're green as green can be. And they need somebody with some seasoning to take them under their wings and show them the ropes and show them the way. Let's take a look at the example of a disciple maker. Go to 1 Thessalonians 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Over in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, I love the words of Paul. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In other words, he's saying, let me disciple you as Jesus is discipling me. Now, there's a warning about you drawing disciples after yourself. Because if you're drawing disciples after yourself in the sense that, that you're trying to get them just to follow you, well, that's the problem. But if you're saying, you follow me as I follow Christ, and if I ever stop following Christ, then you stop following me. Now, that's all right. That's what Paul said. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. But if my imitation of Christ stops, you need to stop imitating me. You know, I love uh, some of the other things Paul said over in Philippians 3, 17. He said, join in following my example. He said, you have us for a pattern. We're setting a pattern of how to do it, the way things ought to be done, the way this life ought to be lived. Is your life a pattern? Is your life an example so that, the, that you can actually say to your disciples, do as I do and not do as I say and not as I do because that ain't going to work. It don't work with your kids. It ain't working with your disciples either. Come on, somebody. You know, I, I, I love uh, uh, something else Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, between 6 and 9. He, he said, withdraw yourself from every brother that's walking disorderly. But he said, the way that we walked among you, we were not disorderly among you. He said, we made an example of how you should follow us, an example for you to follow. Say, so stay away from those guys that aren't in order. Because when we were among you, we were in order. We did it right. We set the right example. Do you have 1 Thessalonians 2? Look at verse 7. Look at these words. This is the example of a disciple maker. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, so the, there's one aspect of that heart. It's uh, uh, w uh, of being an example. It's being gentle. Verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Not just to tell you some nice little gospel stories, but we were ready to impart our very own lives we were ready to plant our lives as a seed. And let me give you a hint here. We're not just talking about the things that we did right here. No, we're going to go ahead and talk to you about the things we did wrong too. We're going to go ahead and impart our lives into you and be, be straight with you about our own lives and how we got to the point that we got and the, the stumbling blocks along the way and, and the trips along the way to get to this point. And anything I can do to save you some of those stumbling blocks, I don't mind laying it out for you and talking about my own mistakes to save you some of your own. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Well, please, not just to impart the gospel, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly 
we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Someone say, behave yourself. What a need there is for us as uh, disciple makers to make sure that we've got these things in order and that we're behaving ourselves correctly, knowing that we've got people around us that are watching us. And we don't want to leave the wrong impression with them. We don't want to leave an impression of them that, that would take them off the, 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 the track they need to be on, draw them down a wrong road. No, no, we want the impression that our life leaves on them and the example that we're leaving for them to be a very positive and an impactful one for the kingdom of God. Go over to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And a fascinating thing here in 1 Timothy 4 is that we see that uh, Paul is getting specific about the areas in which we need to be careful to set the example. He laid out six areas here in this verse to Timothy, who is a, a young pastor and without a doubt a maker of disciples. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Be an example in word. Oh, yeah. That means you're slow to speak. That means just because it enters your mind doesn't mean it pours out your mouth. Come on now. And you're an example of uh, in word because... You are a believer uh, in the words that Jesus said that for every idle word we speak, we're going to give account of it in the judgment. So you're careful about what words you let out for that very reason. And you're very careful about the words you let out because Jesus said that, that if, uh, if you speak something and you believe it in your heart, that that thing will come to pass. So you're very careful about what you speak and what you believe because because you won't be careful about what comes to pass. Be an example in conduct. Act appropriately. Do the right thing. I love the wording of how you ought to behave yourself. Conduct yourself in the house of God. Be an example in love. If you have any doubt about what love is. I'll tell you. 1 Corinthians 13. About verse 4 through 8. In the Amplified Bible. Lays it out so beautifully. Be an example in love. As a matter of fact, we shared with you last week that that's how Jesus said people, not just people, but all people, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. Be an example in spirit. Come on, somebody. Be filled with the spirit. Be sensitive to the spirit. I mean, sometimes I'll tell you, we just get so caught up with natural stuff and natural details and there's no doubt the natural details need to be taken care of. You do need to balance your checkbook. Come on. If you don't believe that, the devil is a liar. Come on. But, but, but the idea is you don't get so caught up in natural things that you lose your sensitivity to the spirit. You, you, you lose your sensitivity that, whoa, I was going along and, and, and thought I was going one way. But the Lord said, no, go another way. Don't take that exit. I was going along and, and, and I just sensed the leading of the Lord to say something to somebody that I had no intention on saying anything to. Be sensitive to the spirit. Be a, have an awareness of spiritual reality. Some people just act like there ain't nothing but this, this life and this earth. And, and just go along and believers going along like the, there's no awareness of spiritual reality. No awareness that there's a spiritual realm that's all around us. That even though you can't see it, don't mean it's not there. So be an example in spirit, having an awareness and a sensitivity to spiritual things. Be an example in your faith. How you react in tough times speaks a whole lot to people. If you melt, I'll tell you what, that says something to people. But, but if you go ahead and stand strong and say, I don't know how the Lord's getting me out of the fix, but the Lord will surely get me out of the fix. And if you don't melt in tough times, you know what you're doing? You're being an example in faith. And be an example in purity. Purity of thought. Purity of speech. Purity of action. Come on, somebody. Purity in how you treat members of the opposite sex. Hey. Come on. 
Where I, where's an organ player when you need one? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Be an example of the believer. How important that is. Can you say amen? amen? And also understand this, that there's an aspect of follow through to a disciple maker. That means you don't just get something started. You follow through. Go to Acts chapter 14. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 14. Glory be to God. And this is something you definitely need to see with your own eyes right here. The follow through of a disciple maker. Acts 14 verse 21. We'll start there. And it reads as follows. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned. Someone say returned. To Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Next verse. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Part of showing somebody the ropes, they may not get the ropes the first time through. Somebody may need to go ahead and do a little follow through and a little follow up. Come on, are you with me? They were already there. They had already ministered to these people. They had already made some disciples. But then it says they returned. And what did they do when they got there? They strengthened the souls of the disciples. They exhorted them to continue in the faith. Over in Acts 18.23, it reads the same thing. They strengthened all the disciples. That's one thing about a disciple maker you got to have some follow through and you got to be willing not just to make a disciple, but to keep on following up on your disciples and to keep on strengthening them. You say, how on earth can I strengthen them? Well, first of all, you got to realize this, that, that, that if, if you have inside of you, God almighty, then, and if you are one with the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, I know the, the book of Ephesians talks about being strengthened with all might by his Spirit in the inner man. So when you've got the Spirit of God abiding in you and you recognize that, and, and, and you are uh, not, not only recognizing, but taking advantage of the blessing that you have, then you are taking an advantage of a strength inside of you that's beyond your own. It's not yours, it's his. And the very same thing that you've got developed, you can show somebody else how to develop. The very benefits that you've now gotten to the point that you're enjoying in your walk with God, show somebody else how to get there. Show them the ropes. Show them how to be strong in a tough time. Show them how to be Filled with faith and filled with power and filled with energy when you feel like rather than being God's man of faith and power, you feel like God's man of paste and flour. You know what I'm saying? You may feel one way, but you're making a determination that though I feel that way, I'm not moving in this life by how I feel. And I'm going to go ahead and show my people here, show those people that I've got some spiritual influence into their lives. That just as I've done it, I'm not Superman. I've done it. I've done it because of the help of God in my life to do it. And therefore, that same help is available to you. That same strength is available to you. That same power is available to you. And understand this. There's upkeep in being a disciple maker. If you're a maker of disciples, there's some upkeep. Because at the same time, you're looking out for others. You always got to keep on looking out for yourself. At the same time, you're looking out for others. you got to keep on looking out for yourself. That is spoken so beautifully by the Apostle Paul in two areas. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I preach to others that I myself should be disqualified. So at the same time that he's preaching to others, ministering to others, he's keeping track of himself. Because he doesn't want to get disqualified himself when in the middle of trying to help others. 1 Timothy 4, 16, Paul gives great advice to Timothy when he says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them because in doing this, you will both save yourself and them that hear you. So think about this, that by you continuing, but by you taking heed to yourself, someone say, well, if I take heed to myself, if I pay attention to myself, isn't that selfish? Selfish. 
Well, it can be, but I'll tell you, there's a way in which you really need to take heed to yourself just to keep your own self on track. And you're doing it not just for the sake of yourself. When you take care of yourself, you're taking care of yourself for the sake of others. Because if you go off the track and someone's following you, they may go off the tracks with you. That's why it's so vital for a disciple maker in the process of looking out for others to look out for themselves and to keep themselves on track so they don't lead somebody astray. And as we get ready to close today, we bring them in, show them the ropes, but then you send them out to do the same. Send them out to do the same. And how important this is and how vital this is. And you know what? It's important as, as we're making disciples and bringing disciples along that we teach them something about their, their, the, the need for a good spiritual diet. And the need for them to, to have, have good, solid growth. Because if they're not having growth, then it's going to be time to cut the apron string and they're not going to be ready for it. Did you hear what I said? There's going to be time for them to start doing uh, a little more. Uh, not They're always a disciple. But, but there comes a shift where they're going to do a little more discipling and a little less being discipled. You know what I'm saying? And if somebody doesn't have a proper spiritual diet, Hebrews 5.12 says that, that by this time you ought to be teachers and you need somebody to teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God. And he said, and you've come to need milk instead of solid food. So there's something about disciples having a good, solid spiritual diet and good, solid spiritual growth. So that when it's cut time to go ahead and start uh, less emphasis on just being discipled and more emphasis on discipling others that when you make that transition, you're ready for it rather than being turned loose. And then you realize, Hey, I ain't ready for this. Think about it. Glory to God. It's quiet in the house. Let these sayings sink deep down into your ears. Glory to God. Bottom line, you got to keep on passing it on. The only way it got to us 20 centuries after the fact was that somebody kept passing it on. It got passed on. In some ages, in some generations, it was not passed on very well. But then God stirred somebody up. Something would seem to be lost and, and and you have a generation of people where you're not hearing a whole lot about some very key and foundational things in the word. And God would stir somebody up like a Martin Luther about being justified by faith. And God would stir other people up with other things that were in the word all the time. And they're as clear as can be. But the thing is, is that we're here today because it was passed on, passed on, passed on passed on and as long as Jesus tarries his coming for there to continue to be a bright and vibrant moving church in the earth the only way that happens is for the church to continue to do what he commissioned us to do and to keep on passing it on keep on passing it on and I'm not talking about a church full of recycled saints either I'm talking about fresh blood I'm talking about people in here you know the best people to teach the word to are people that don't know anything about it because they don't need to be retaught anything they don't need to have their wiring redone because they were wrongly wired the first time they got mistaught the word nothing like fresh blood oh hallelujah glory be to God you know, the scripture says, John 15, verse 16, that, that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Not only does the Lord want us to go and bear fruit, but, but you know what? Uh, we're not just talking about the convert that, uh, you know, somebody that takes a walk down the aisle and prays the prayer and then you don't ever see them again. You know what Jesus is into? Fruit that remains. Come on, are you with me? You know, the apostle Paul talked about passing it on when he talked about us comforting those who are in trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. In other words, I've got some comfort and I see somebody else who needs some comfort. I'm passing on the same comfort that I got. You got the word. You see somebody who needs the word. You're passing on the same word that you got that saved your life. 
passing it on to somebody else to save their life. When Jesus prayed his great high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, I don't pray for these alone, talking about his disciples that were there in the room with him. But he said, I'm praying also for those that will believe in me through their word. There was the expectation that they were going to pass it on and that others were going to believe through their word. I want to look at two scriptures here before we close to wrap this baby up. Someone say, pass it on. Pass it on. Two places, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2 Timothy 2. And we're going to go ahead and wrap it up right here. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Timothy 2. Hallelujah. Bringing them in, show them the ropes, send them out to do the same. Bringing them in, show them the ropes, sending them out to do the same. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and then we'll go to 2 Timothy 2. 1 Thessalonians 1. Verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Now, first of all, in verse 6, Paul calls them followers of us and of the Lord. But then in verse 7, he calls them examples to all who are in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So they're still disciples to Paul, but they're disciples that are making disciples. They're disciples who are passing it on. They're not just following somebody, but they're being examples to somebody. You see three generations there. You see Paul, you see the Thessalonians, and then you see the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Someone say, pass it on. Second Timothy 2, the last verse of the day. But it's a doozy. Are you ready? Second Timothy 2, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here we see four generations. We see Paul. The things that you heard from me, that's Paul. So you here is Timothy, me is Paul. So we see four generations, Paul and then Timothy. And then next, the faithful men that Timothy taught. And then the next generation is the others who were taught by the faithful men. Do you see that? Do you see that? Pass it on. You see, Paul, who gave it to Timothy, Timothy gave the word to the faithful men, and those faithful men will be able to teach others also. Four generations of passing it on. Someone say, I am a disciple. disciple. Who is discipling? My disciples to make disciples. One more time, I am a disciple. Who is discipling? My disciples to make disciples. Come on, praise the Lord with me. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.